We're going to continue on in our series called Cha-Ching. And in this series, the goal is that we will have our hearts and our minds oriented more towards the Lord as it relates to our finances and less towards ourselves. So, last week we talked about the idea that uh, God's gifts to us are our gifts to Him, right? So God gives us life, He gives us the lips of our mouths, and so we honor Him with our praise, and we live our lives as our spiritual act of worship. And then the stuff that He gives us, we then offer back to Him so that He has the resources to be able to further His ministry in the world, and we get to partner with Him. So that's a pretty exciting thing. Today... We're going to be looking at a topic we're calling giving dependently. Giving dependently. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 verses 1 to 5. Now, if you're here and you have your Bibles with you, or if you've got a Bible app and you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Luke chapter 21 verses 1 to 5, and uh, when you have it, one of the ways we like to show respect for God's Word here at Pathways, we like to stand for the reading of His Word, so would you please stand with me? And here's what it says. As Jesus looked up, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, He says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave the gifts of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now you're nervous. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the beauty that we have and the sun shining outside and how it lifts us and it brings us joy. And I thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to be in this space together as a body of believers unified towards you. And so, Lord, as we're looking into your word this morning, may we have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to whatever it is you have for us this morning, so that we can orient our lives towards you. In your name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. So, uh, I don't know if you know this, here's a little bit of a confession for me to you, and that is that I am very different from God. I know, some of you are shocked. You think our pastor is different from God? Yeah! I'm very different from God. I'll give you an example of what I mean. We talk about my parenting, for example. Uh, I have a son. His name is Theron James Haslam. He's an awesome guy. Awesome guy. And he is 18. He's turning 19 in April. April 10th, he'll be 19 years old. Now, here's what I've noticed in my parenting, and maybe for those of you who have older kids or for those of you who even have younger kids and you're developing them and you're parenting them, maybe you're a little bit like me. I have been trying for a long time to help my son Theron be more independent of me, not need me near as much. Anybody else like that? Some of you are like, some of you are like, nope. <laughs> well, this is very much how I have parented. So, for example, um, when it comes to work, I never forced Theron to get a job. Uh, and when he did get a job finally, uh, it was a job that he had to work at. It's a job that he had to show up at. He had to remember his shifts, all these kinds of things. If he needed to book time off, he needed to make sure that that was taking place. I didn't do those things for him. When it came to school, 
I did not decide for my son what it is that he was going to be studying in school. As a matter of fact, I remember having, very distinctly having many conversations with him, sitting down and talking about, okay, how do we think through the kinds of things that we may want to study so that he has the skills to be able to go and think for himself and even just living life. It's very rare that I would tell my son how to live his life, but I would offer him principles that he would be able to lean back on to be able to grow in his confidence of self to be able to make decisions for himself. But I am very different from God that way. You see, one of the things we read in the scriptures here is that uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, this, this, when I was going through this, I really felt somewhat convicted. Listen to this. This is Paul talking, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9. But this happened, listen, that we might not rely on ourselves, but God, who raised the dead. Not relying on ourselves, relying on God. Now, the verse right before this, Paul describes how he and his companions were experiencing something that they were just having a lot of difficulty enduring. And God wanted Paul to live dependently on him. He wants the same for us. He wants dependent living. We're supposed to grow and mature in our thinking and in our behavior, and God wants us to give to him all the skills, all the gift, all the time, all the relationships, all our finances, everything. Give to him for his glory. So here's the truth that I understand. We raise our children to be independent of us but God raises His to be dependent on Him. Now think about that for a second. We raise our children to be independent of us, but God raises His children to be dependent on Him. So what does it look like to live dependently on God with our finances in, right? Because that's the series we're in. We're talking about finances, biblical finances. How do we live dependently on God as it relates to our finances? Well, how about this? This is a principle that I think is critically important for us to understand. If you get nothing out of anything else we say this morning, I want you to walk away with this. How we give is more important than how much we give. You catch that? How we give is way more important than how much we give. And if we reduce giving to a mathematical formula, I just want to let you know that that's not the way to give. That's not the spirit of giving within the Scriptures. If we only give out of an obligation, then we miss the heart of the issue altogether. And we've distorted the notion of what it means to give. You know, when you carry on and you look through Scripture, what we find is that we give out of our faith and dependence on Jesus. When we view giving as an act of faith and dependence, joining in His ministry, the result? More joy. More joy. Not happiness or elation necessarily, but joy as a state of being. In the surrounding context of our passage that we have in Luke, talking about the widow who gave these two copper coins. Some people refer to this passage as the widow's might. What we find is that Jesus sheds light, or this passage sheds light on how Jesus felt about what was going on in the temple in that day. Back in Mark chapter 12, for example, right before Jesus observes and, and comments on this rich 
uh, upon the rich giving from their wealth and the widow giving from her poverty, he condemns the religious leaders. I don't know if you know that, but it's still within the same context. He condemns them for their pride. He condemns them for their arrogance, their self-prominence, and their greed. And he highlights their greed in Mark 12, verse 40. And he says this, that they were devourers of widows' houses. Devourers of widows' houses. Here's what you need to know. According to the law of Moses... The spiritual leaders are supposed to be the ones taking care of the widows and the orphans in their community by providing for their needs. This is in Deuteronomy 26, verse 12. But here, they're doing the opposite. They're taking away from the widows what they had left, leaving them destitute without even a home necessary to live in, according to what Jesus was saying here, devourers of widows' houses. Look, in this passage in Luke and, and in Mark 12, uh, there are two things that are taking place. Two things. And these are important to understand. The first thing is this. Jesus is condemning the religious institution that negates the heart of the giving and implements a formula that requires people to give in such a way that it doesn't matter what's going on in their lives, they give. And they do that to the extent that it says that they're devourers of these widows instead of being the ones who take care of the widows. The second thing that's taking place is that within that context, when the rules have been set up and the widow comes to this place and understanding that to do this is to do the will of God, we find that there is this woman who very dependently gives. The wealthy and the poor have been giving their tithes and offerings that morning. And Matthew 6, verse 2, describes the sound of wealthy giving. I don't know if you, under, you caught this or not, but there's the sound of wealthy giving. In, uh, in this passage, here's what it says. So when you give to the needy, Ready? Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, when, when you hear this, I'm guessing, like a lot of us in North America, you're thinking trumpets. Which, by the way, I got to tell you, that's an annoying sound of an instrument. <laughs> Personal preferences. We'll leave it there. But that's actually not what Jesus is talking about. You see, wealthy folks would come up and they would dump their offerings into these metal chests. And these metal chests were wide at the bottom, narrow at the top. And in the Talmud, they were actually called trumpets. It's shaped like a trumpet and they called it a trumpet. And what would happen is that the heavier coins would make an awful lot of sound when it got dumped into these Trumpets, as you could well imagine, if you can picture tossing coins into this thing and clanging along the sides, everybody would know. And, it, and the way it would work is the more coins, of course, that you would dump in, the louder the sound. You have announced your offering. You have announced your giving. Loud, attention-grabbing, every eye in the house noticed. And in the midst of all that noise that was going on, Jesus notices a frail widow woman all by herself who drops in two mites. 
these would barely make a sound. They would land into this trumpet and be like a kind of a thud, but not the clanging sound that you would hear from the other coins. And he notices this. This is actually the smallest coin that they used in Rome. It's a 64th, 164th of a denarii, and a denarii was a day's wages. One denarii was a day's wages, and one of these mites would have been a 64th of a denarii. How much money do you think that actually is? You think that would actually buy her anything? Not really. It was minimal. It was a fraction of a penny, really. And we can actually, for those of us who remember pennies, since they did away with pennies, do you remember how much a penny would buy you? This is weird. I'm about to sound old. I remember when penny candy was a penny, not five cents. They lied to us. Here, have some penny candy. How much is that? Five cents. That's not a penny. So a penny doesn't actually buy you much of anything these days, does it? Actually, so much so that they either round up to the nearest hole or down to the nearest in, in order, like in, in terms of fives, right? Up to the nearest five or down to the nearest five in order to get rid of this notion of the penny. So the penny doesn't actually get us much of anything at all anymore. And it wasn't that different than her two mites. She would drop them in the trumpet. It would hardly make a sound. Probably went unnoticed by everybody else. Well, here's, here's the key. You ready? Jesus noticed. Jesus noticed. He noticed how she gave what she gave. Look, I'm going to back up just for a quick second. I told you there were two things going on. There was the, um, the charge to the religious leaders essentially saying that you were not taking care of business the way you're supposed to be taking care of business. And you're putting this burden on people that for a lot of them they just can't manage and you don't seem to care about the fact that they can't manage. In, in a different passage where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on, on the tithing language that they were using and he says that you measure even a tenth of the spice but you neglect the greater things of caring. You remember? For your families and for the widows. And so they put such oppression over the people in their giving that the people themselves didn't matter as much as the gift giving. Jesus noticed how she gave what she gave. Let me offer this to you. Leadership here in our congregation, we're not interested in any way, shape, or form in burdening people with giving. You see, we care more about you than we do about your gift. Okay, that's important. We need to know that right across the board. And anything that we do that requires a giving is an opportunity for all of us to enter into this relationship together where we're offering back to the Lord a portion of what He's given to us that we would live dependently on Him and we would join together in mission because this is what these funds do. That's what we do together. And so we're not interested in being like the religious leaders that we find in the text. What we are interested in being is like this woman. You see, even though she was living under this oppression, she did something between her and the Lord. 
If we understand that if you had two pennies that you're supposed to try and live on, and you know that two pennies ain't going to buy you much, and you go and you give those two pennies to the Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? And so Jesus notices how she gave what she gave. He noticed what her life was like. He highlights to the disciples, and he says, this widow, no one there to take care of her, no one there to sustain her. And she was alone, a widow by herself. Her condition was known by Jesus. And he points out that the widow had nothing left after she gave these two mites. He said the wealthy gave out of their wealth and she gave out of her poverty and she had nothing left to live on. I'm not asking you to give that way. Because a bunch of you are like, Rob, I got my mortgage coming out. Like, <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. What she had left after she gave determined the value of what she gave. That's what happens here. You see, Jesus says that she gave more than they did. If I were there, I'm not going to lie to you, I'd probably sit down with her and say, don't do this. Buy at least one slice of bread. Don't do this. My heart for her would likely have hindered her faith journey. If I would have been there, I would have said that, I actually would have tried to talk her out of it. Giving everything doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. It's not logical. But this widow wasn't operating from a place of reason or logic. You see, she was operating from a place of faith. Here's what I mean. Faith was actually the only way she could give. It was the only way she could give. The two mites that she had, they didn't amount to anything. It was a gift out of her poverty. Faith that God would supply all her needs. That's where her faith was. That God was her provider. She believed God who let her, the God who let her husband die, let her become destitute, was still merciful. That he was still worthy of honor and praise and worship and obedience and offering. He still loved her and had a purpose for her life. She became totally dependent on God when she dropped those two mites in the chest. There was nothing left for her. And so if she was going to eat, God was going to have to provide. If she was going to have lights, then God was going to have to provide. If she was going to have clothes, then God was going to have to provide. And there's a beautiful lesson from her life in this that we can walk away with, and that would be this. Dependence on God sustains us when life appears hopeless. Dependence on God sustains us when life appears hopeless. You see, it's our faith in God that keeps us going. Not our human reasoning or our human logic. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 18 says this, Therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So listen to this, because this is important. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, so what's he saying here? What he's saying here is that we have these momentary troubles that we have in life. That's what he's referring to. Now, Paul's momentary troubles were very different than the momentary troubles that we deal with. See, I don't know how many of us in the room here have ever been beaten within an inch of our life for our faith. I don't know how many in the room here have ever had people pick up large stones and hurl them at us because of the things we were saying. I don't know how many of us would have experienced the level of hostility to the message that Paul was proclaiming. You see, so when he calls light and momentary troubles, we would view that as pretty extreme, wouldn't we? When Paul was operating out of a place in faith, he says, so he fixes his eyes on what is, sorry, he, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since the seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal. You see, Paul had this dependence on God in terms of how he lived. You ever been totally dependent on God? Beyond a shadow of a doubt? If we've never known sacrifice, I would suggest to you that we'll never actually really grasp what it means to be totally dependent on Him. We, we will have an understanding to some extent. We will lean towards it. We will desire to live our lives that would be dependent on Him. But until we actually know sacrifice, I'm not confident. In the same way that Paul was talking, I'm not confident we will have the same level of understanding, but we can certainly move in that direction. But how about this? If we do not know what it means to be dependent on God, then we do not know what it means to be a disciple. Luke chapter 14, verse 33 is, is one of the most difficult passages, I think, for us to actually sit down and wrestle with on a personal level. Here's what it says. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything that you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus talking, by the way. If you do not give up Everything that you have, you cannot be my disciples. Well, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to give you my boat, but uh, I'm just going to use it all summer. You can have it all the winter, though. Jesus, I've got, a, I've got this stuff that I have that, that I'll lend you. Hey, Jesus, uh, I just want to let you know, in case you didn't, that I threw this X amount of dollars into the offering plate, and you're welcome. It's not the language here, is it? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's he saying here? He's saying not necessarily that you actually need to go out and sell everything that you have and not have it anymore. That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is making him number one, that everything that we have, all that we have, all our time, our resources, our, our just being, needs to become less and that he needs to become more. We give it all up, and we say, Jesus, for your sake, I count this as nothing. Because you are more valuable. 
you are more important. We do not know what it means to be dependent on God. We do not know what it means to be His disciples. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And so there's a language in the Scriptures of dependence on God. Remember, we parent in order to help our children become independent of us. God parents in a way that causes us to be dependent on Him. And so when we go back to this widow, she had Jesus' attention, though I'm confident that she probably didn't know it. And what she offered? Not much. One sixty-fourth of a denarii. Pennies. It wasn't valuable according to the world, right? It didn't make all the sound and the noise in the trumpet. But you know what you did see? Motive of her heart. That in her gift, there was absolutely no doubt that in her life, she was dependent on God. He saw the motive of her heart. Potentially, maybe he saw that she believed in God's work. And she gave because she loved. Maybe that's what was going on there. Now, you might be here this morning and you might be saying, well, Rob, you're probably going to try and tell me what to do with my money now, and you're probably going to say something like, give till it hurts. Or maybe you think I'm going to say, give everything. I'm not going to do that. Here's what I will say. Give as those dependent on Jesus. Give as those dependent on Jesus. We're not here to command everyone to give a certain dollar value or any of those other kinds of things. We are here in this series to orient our hearts towards His. And if He's raising us, His children, to be dependent on Him, then let us be a people who give as if we are dependent on Him. That's it. It's that straightforward. And you need to determine what that looks like. What does it mean for you to give dependently on Jesus? Now, we had a guest speaker here a while back, and, and uh, Sean Groves was his name, and he just delivered an awesome message on this topic of giving. And he's talking about the Corinthian church and how he's telling them a maximum amount on what to give, right? Don't give so much that you are in tribulation is the language of that passage that he was drawing from. Okay, so how about we put a cap on it? Don't give to the point of tribulation in your life. Is that a reasonable statement? Do not give to the point of tribulation. But what would it look like for you to offer your sacrifice to the Lord in terms of your finances in such a way that it displays the heart of dependence on Him? What would that look like? For me, it's simple. It's actually quite simple. I wouldn't be here today without him. I wouldn't. Apart from Jesus, I wouldn't be here today without him. 
I'd probably be in a very dark hole of self-absorbed conceit and arrogance and money-grubbing. I wanted so much money growing up. Many of you already know this, some of you don't, but we grew up in Manitoba housing, low-income housing. When we first moved to Canada, we were on social assistance for the first while. And I saw my parents struggled. I remember going, this is going to sound strange, but I remember going to school with mustard sandwiches. I didn't want to be that kid. I didn't want to have nothing. And so my goal predominantly in life was to make money. Here's how bad it got. It got to the point where my youth pastor, when I finally did come to faith, my youth pastor in my grade 12 year came to me and said, hey, uh, you, you ever considered ministry? You know what my first question was? It had nothing to do with ministry. How much does it pay? That was my first question. How many of you would be honest and say that's a question you would ask? How much does it pay? Yeah, so we're not really that different, are we? That was my question. My first ministry role, I did 30 hours a week at a church while working two part-time jobs and going to school in, in uh, Providence College. And I was doing 30 hours a week at the church while doing all of that, not getting paid. Dependent living is about who is the primary focus in your life as you live. And so we give of our time. We give of our resources. We give our energies, both mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, we give as people who are dependent on the greatest gift giver. And so we give in such a way that reflects that we are here for the life-giving message of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, no man comes to the Father but through Him. Does that sound like a dependent message to you? That we depend on Jesus. And so whether it's our time, our finances, our emotions, our intellect, whatever it is, we give as those who are dependent on Jesus. Let me give an example of this. There's a fantastic story in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. It says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You hear that? In the midst of a very severe trial, persecution. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Listen, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And what was taking place here was that the church in Jerusalem was impoverished. And so other churches began giving towards the church in Jerusalem to take care of the needs of those who were impoverished in Jerusalem. You have to understand the context here. You can be in a Gentile community, you can say that you believe in Jesus, and you're likely still going to keep your job, but not in Jerusalem. And so the people that came to faith in Jerusalem were undergoing extreme poverty themselves. In the midst of a severe trial, their overwhelming joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Macedonian generosity was possible. You ready? Here's why. Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's what it was. And only after they gave themselves first to the Lord, we read in verse 5, that they gave themselves to Paul. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to Paul. To give yourself to the Lord is to live dependently. Live dependently. And out of that dependent living, they were thriving in this overflowing joy. They still experienced the extreme poverty, but for some reason it welled up in a place of generosity. I believe it's because of this, that we serve a God who is generous, and when we become more like Him, we become generous. I think it's how it goes. I really believe that. Their concern was how best to serve Christ. It's here that they exceeded Paul's expectations. They gave out of their poverty because of a sincerity of the dependence on Christ as Lord. So great was their desire to serve Christ that they would not allow their own economic situation to keep them from being involved in the Lord's work. That's amazing. And this is why Paul describes the collection as a service. You see, it's not just a financial obligation. I, I think sometimes we treat giving in church like a financial obligation. I do. I, I really do. I remember, I remember first come to, coming to faith, and I was in uh, mid-teens, and, and I remember coming to faith, going to church for the first time, and, and they were passing around these well, they looked like candy dishes to me, but they were kind of this brass with these, you know, yeah, big bowl. And I was going around, person to person, and I would hear the change going in the bowl. You hearing the theme there? Right? The person who gave all that loud noise, they, they gave. <laughs> and I remember not understanding. Nobody looked happy. It didn't look like an act of joy. Now, it could have been. I mean, I certainly don't want to, you know, comment on the hearts of people. I'm just saying it, they just didn't seem joy-filled. As a matter of fact, it was almost robotic. It would go by, drop, pass, drop, 
pass, drop, pass. What do you think it would have been like had it been, Lord Jesus, I so strongly believe in your message and I so longingly want to live dependently on you that I give this so that we could spread your word so that others could come to know you. What do you think would happen to our lives if that was the framework of our thinking about giving? That we would live dependently, give dependently. It wasn't just a financial obligation. It is a ministry opportunity to the saints, according to verse 4. Those set apart for God, to be God's possession. So, I'll wrap this up this way. What does it look like to be dependent on Jesus, to rely on Christ? Well, I think there's certain realities that we need to recognize and honor and, and truly lean into. And one of those things is this, that God promises to meet our needs, not our greeds. You catch that? God promises to meet our needs, not our greeds. The great example of this is Jesus talking about the sparrow and, and, and talking about ourselves. And he says, look, the, the sparrow is taken care of, right? Like it, it, it doesn't have to worry about whether or not it's going to get food or shelter or clothing or that kind of stuff. It's taken care of. God's taken care of that. So how much more would he take care of you? So God promises to meet our needs. You know what the difference is here? That how God defines our needs and how we define our needs maybe don't align. He promises to fill our needs, not our greeds. And when we loosen our grip on money, money loosens its grip on us. When we loosen our grip on money, money loosens its grip on us. I mean, think about that. I actually believe that a lot of us live in a bondage to our cash, to our pocketbook, to our bank account. We look at that thing, we get our paychecks, it goes in, and then we see the depletion. <laughs> right? If you ever want to get discouraged, just look at your bank account at the end of the month <laughs> and just see how it slowly just seems to erode. And so we get stressed. We worry, we'll fight with our spouse, we'll figure out ways to manage our funds better, which is a good thing, by the way, a godly thing, figuring out ways to manage your funds better, that is good. But it becomes such a dominant topic in, in relationship that, that we, we try to find these human solutions to things. And in doing so, we get agitated and frustrated, we'll fight with our spouse about it. I think that's because we're trying to do it on our own strength and trying to depend on our own might in these things instead of actually depending on the one who gave us these funds to begin with. Loosen your grip on money, and it will loosen its grip on you. And when we give with purpose, we do experience the joy of the Lord in a way that maybe we hadn't before. I, I remember the first time Janet and I tried doing something like this. So, um, remember I mentioned before, I asked how much money one makes in ministry. It turns out, uh, at the time, nothing. Uh, <laughs> and so I remember Janet and I hearing about a family that was uh, struggling. Uh, struggling to be able to buy groceries, that kind of thing. 
And so what we decided to do was just go down to the grocery store. We just bought as much as we could reasonably afford at the time. Remember, don't give to the point of tribulation. So we gave, like we bought as much as we could. And then at night, because this is the fun part, right? At night, we went and we handed, put these paper bag grocery bags, back when paper bags were still a thing, at their front doorstep. We rang the doorbell and ran away. And we quickly got into the vehicle, we drove down the street a little bit, and we just watched. I can't remember the last time that I experienced that level of joy in giving. Can you? Give dependently. As those who depend on the Lord for our salvation, give dependently, recognizing that apart from Jesus, Nobody can come to the Father, and so we give towards the gospel. You see, that's how we orient our hearts towards Him as it relates to giving, right? So we give with purpose, and God begins to bless us with joy in a way that we hadn't experienced before. I mean, seriously, how cool do you think it would be if just like every single household that's in the room right now and listening online or watching online are able to just go to the grocery store this week, buy a whole bunch of groceries, that, and you know a family that needs it, just go down to their house, ring the doorbell, run away. I mean, how much cooler would it be if everybody just did the same family? <laughs> We'd have to buy them a freezer. And <laughs> Man, the joy of giving, it's not small. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. So here's the call to action. Because I believe that you understand that we are to give dependently. The widow's mites. This woman gave dependently. You see, apart from, the God, apart from God showing up in her life, there was nothing that she was going to be able to do, even if she kept the mites. She needed him. And so do we. So do we. So here's what I want you to do. Commit to giving five bucks every week. That's it. Five dollars towards going on making sure that Jesus' message gets delivered. That's it. You might say, Rob, why are you putting a number on it, and why is that number so low, and this and that? Look, guys, here's the reality. We're told that it takes, what, 21 days to develop a habit? Something along those lines. If we want to get into the habit of giving to the Lord, if we want to get into the habit of living dependently on Him, then we need to have these things at the forefront of our minds. So let's put something into practice that isn't enormous, but it is something that orients our hearts towards Him. Come every Sunday... Give five bucks towards his mission. And have that at the forefront of your mind when you drop that five bucks in that bag as it goes by. Don't let it just be grab, drop, pass. Grab, drop, pass. Let it be, thank you, Jesus. We're going to do some cool things together. Thank you, Jesus. I can't wait to see what you do. Thank you, Jesus. You catch that? 
Live dependently. Live dependently. And as we do, we will lean into the idea that God promises to meet our needs, not our greeds. That when we loosen our grip on money, money loosens its grip on us. And when we give with purpose, we experience a joy in the Lord unlike anything we may have felt or experienced before. You decide what it looks like for you to live and give dependently to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you that you are God and we are not, and I thank you so much that, that you are so bold in the things that you tell us. That Jesus, you condemn the, the type of oppression that the religious leaders were putting people under, and you commend the woman, the widow, who had nothing. And she gave out of that nothing as an act of dependence on you. And so, Jesus, would you help us to be in our thinking, in our heart orientation, much more like the widow than the religious leaders? Would we become less legalistic and more God-honoring? Would we become less about what we look like and more about who you are? That we would live dependently on you. That we would give in such a way that reflects our need of the gospel and others' needs of the gospel. And may we have a joy in doing so, may we give for your cause. Amen.